I know that it's not cookie cutter and that's why Fran Fund exists because it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not going to be the same for each candidate. So whether it's an SBA loan and a combination of ROBS for the cash injection or self-funding with ROBS or, you know, I had a client not too long ago that I did suggest a home equity line of credit. They already had one in place that was enough to fund their franchise. They had already paid the closing costs and it was a small investment of only $80,000. We're gonna lead them in the path that's right for their business opportunity and their long-term goals. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Today, we have a fantastic guest. But before I introduce her, Dan, my co-host, what's up, my man? Hey, Christian. Doing good. How are you? Having a great day, man. Really excited today. We're going to be talking about funding for your franchise. Obviously, this is a very, very important and critical component to getting a business started is how the heck are we going to fund this thing? Where's the money coming from? What are the different options available to us? And what's the right strategy for me? Not everyone's situation is the same. So different people can fund businesses differently. So what are some of the different strategies? What are some of the pros and cons, things that are exciting and awesome, maybe some potential drawbacks? And so we have an expert on today, Tara Thomas with Fran Fund. Tara, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. I'm good, Christian. Thank you for having me today. Awesome. Well, before we dive into all the fun stuff, something that we ask everybody is how did you kind of fall into being involved in the franchise industry? I mean, obviously you're more on the funding side, but you're heavily involved in the franchise industry. You specialize in funding for franchise businesses. So how did franchising find you? How did this all start? Yeah. So that could be a longer story than you might anticipate. So I'll give kind of an edited version, but actually right out of high school, I started working for a very well-known franchise, two men in a truck. I was a customer service representative. I literally started booking moves scheduling moves on the phone while I was also going to college. And I moved up. I became an office manager, then a manager of another location. And then I worked at the corporate offices doing training and development and was with the company for about 10 years before I bought my own franchise in Michigan. So I've been a franchisee myself. I was with two men in a truck for over 12 years. Loved that business. I only sold it because I was moving and getting ready to have my children. So it was just that kind of a change in life. And got out of franchising for a short amount of time before there was a position available at FranFund. And I had had a lot of sales and obviously franchising history. And they said, hey, why don't you come over and start working with us? And the rest is history. So I've been with FranFund now for four years. So I started in franchising back in 1999, which tells you that I'm getting old. Fantastic. Well, you look great. (laughs) Thank you. Before we touch on all the fun strategies and whatnot, tell us about FranFund. What is FranFund? What separates you guys from a lot of the competition out there? Sure. So we offer multiple funding solutions under one house. We help our clients to obtain SBA loans. We offer a loan consultation service, holding clients' hand throughout the entire loan process until the loan is funded. We also facilitate the ROP strategy, a rollover for business startup. And that process is a strategy that allows you to use eligible retirement dollars and invest them into your business. And I'm sure we'll talk through a little bit more about that. But We also have commercial fleet leasing programs, unsecured lending programs. You know, we're going to talk to you about all of the best options for each candidate's particular situation. 
And Freedom Fund was actually, while we didn't create an SBA loan or a rollover, we were the first funding provider to actually provide them all under one roof. So we just saw a need for, you know, one-stop shopping so people can really facilitate a number of funding solutions because sometimes it's a combination of those methods that I just mentioned. So really, we work really hard to work with aspiring entrepreneurs because so many are unsure of where to start. They're unfamiliar with options. They're overwhelmed with info. So we just really help them to identify and execute those strong funding solutions. Dan, I hogged up all the last podcasts. So I'll let you chime in, man. (laughs) That's okay. So I guess one of the biggest questions that I have is, a lot of our listeners are looking at financing a franchise that they're going to purchase, or they're at least looking at franchise and starting to think about financing the franchise purchase. Could you maybe start with the major benefits of a rollover? Like, what's like your number one reason you'd say someone should do a rollover versus conventional or SBA or HELOC or whatever other? type of lending they can utilize? So, I mean, I try to walk a fine line there of just never, you know, suggesting one thing over another, because again, everybody's situation is different. Some people are okay with taking on debt. They're okay with paying interest and fees and that's okay. That's an okay way to capitalize. You know, somebody says it's other people's money, although you're always paying it back, you know, with income from the business and your money, where the Rob strategy allows you to invest your pre-tax retirement dollars without income tax or early withdrawal penalty. So, so many of our clients have found that they get a much better return while investing in themselves and their own business versus the traditional market. So it also, it can be used in combination with an SBA loan or a HELOC, but we do have a lot of clients that will self-fund with that strategy. And with that, they have no interest. They have no monthly loan payments. Without any debt, that business is able to cash flow faster, which is a huge, huge advantage. So I think it's just the way you look at everybody's lives, right? Some people are very debt averse. They don't like having car payments and credit card debt and other people are okay with it. (laughs) So when I talk to somebody and they say, oh, I don't like debt, I don't like interest. I know that, you know, Rob's is probably going to be a good fit where somebody else is like, I like to borrow money and I'm okay with leveraging everything, you know, using my home as collateral and using these other things to leverage getting that type of loan, then that can be a good fit too. Makes sense. So I think since we've already gone down the road of the Rob strategy, let's dive into it a little bit more in terms of like the ins and outs. Like, how does it work? What are some of the pros and cons, I guess? And then sure, how does it have to be set up and those sorts of things? Yeah. So, and a lot of people don't know that this strategy even exists. You know, I'm sure before you all got into franchising, you were probably like, no. And even when I first heard about it, I'm like, retirement, you're not supposed to use your retirement. So I had that same initial thought that everybody else does, right? We've always been taught not to touch our retirement. And that is super sound advice. You're going to cash it out to put a roof on your house or go to Mexico, probably not a good idea. But once you realize that this is an investment, so instead of investing into Google or Apple stock or an index fund, you are still investing it. That is not a distribution. It's not a loan. And this strategy, it can be any number of types of accounts that can be used. It does have to be with a previous employer. And the reason for that is just because most current employers won't allow you to roll out funds while still employed. So if you have you know, a large 401k with a current employer that you don't plan on leaving, it's probably not eligible for use. But if you have an old 401k, a 403b, if you worked for the government and you're, or you were in the military and you have a TSP or thrift savings plan, any types of those accounts are eligible for this strategy, or maybe you rolled those funds into a rollover IRA. So any combination of these types of accounts are eligible. And 
The first step is to create a C corporation. And we do that for the candidate. So we get that corporation created and filed within the state, develop their articles of incorporation, obtain their EIN number. And that C corporation is the operating entity for whatever business they're moving forward with. And then we create a new retirement plan that is sponsored by that C corporation, the new business. And basically, instead of investing in those traditional options I just spoke of, the candidate is able to invest those funds right back into the sponsoring corporation, their new business. So we then facilitate transferring the cash from the new 401k plan that we've created into their business checking account in exchange for shares of stock. So essentially, the 401k plan, which sounds strange, is the shareholder of this new C corporation. But now that cash is sitting in their business checking account that they can use for all of those business expenses, initial franchise fees and marketing costs, inventory, equipment, payroll for employees, including themselves. So again, there's no monthly repayment or interest. They always have the ability to buy the shares back from the retirement plan if they choose to throughout the span of owning their business. Or what many clients of ours will do is leave that money invested into the business through the point in time in which they sell it. And then the sale of the proceeds would be the same as any other, or they take the proceeds from that sale and divide them among their shareholders. So if the 401k plan were to still own 100% of the shares of stock when they sell their business, then the 401k plan would receive 100% of the proceeds from that sale pre-tax. So again, that's where, you know, if they invested 200,000 and then ran the business for 10 years, all the while paying themselves salary wages, bonuses, and then sell that business for a million, the proceeds go back into their retirement plan. They made a really great investment. Fantastic. I mean, I think that's a great breakdown. That's kind of the long and short. That might've been deeper than what you're looking for, Christian, but that's kind of how the strategy works. And this is not a loophole. This is not you know a program that any funding company created. This is part of the IRS tax code and part of the IRS Act of 1974. So it's been around for quite some time and we've been facilitating this for thousands and thousands of business owners across the country for a long time. I think it was a phenomenal breakdown. (laughs) It's good. We want to get as granular as possible on the podcast. We want to really give some good insight. One of the other benefits of this, because I know you guys are kind of talking pros and cons, is this is a real retirement plan. So this is a retirement plan that the franchisee or your clients are able to participate in and contribute to and something that they would also offer to eligible W-2 employees once they meet eligibility requirements. So it's also a great benefit, you know, especially in today's market and hiring, you know, being able to offer that benefit to those eligible employees is important as well. Fantastic. So something that I've gotten from clients in the past is a little bit of pushback. And again, I know you're not a CPA, I'm not a CPA, but this idea of double taxation with the C-Corp, yeah. What do you typically say to clients there? I've talked to CPAs that say it's less of an issue than you might think it is if you do things the right way. Yeah. But I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are there. Yes, you're right. I'm not a CPA or an accountant, so I do have to preface that. And we do typically suggest the clients talking to their CPAs or, or accountants, and we have some that we can recommend. But when you put C Corporation into the Google machine, it spits out double taxation all over the place. So I hear that all the time, Christian. And really, double taxation only occurs when or if dividends are paid. There's no law saying that they have to pay dividends. So salary, wages, bonuses are not dividends. Ordinary necessary business expenses are deducted. So again, that's where working really closely with a good accountant that's familiar with this strategy can mitigate even paying any dividends if that's what you choose to do. 
that's definitely what I've heard from CPAs. They say, if you're getting double taxed, then you need to get a new CPA is what I've heard. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and I mean, some other advantages to the C corporations that people don't know is if you have an LLC, your fiscal year has to be the same as a calendar year. For a C corporation, that's not the case. You can, if you choose to have your fiscal year, so maybe it's, you can, you know, have it set to maybe your business is cyclical or seasonal. So if you want it to kind of complement your business cycle, you have the ability to do so. And also with a C corporation, you can carry over losses over to a future year to offset those earnings. So, you know, there's some other advantages there. Again, if you're working with a good CPA or an accountant, and there's a lot of them out there. We have a handful that we work with that we can refer to that are very specifically familiar with both franchising and the Rob strategy. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Something else we can dive into, obviously, I think we have to talk SBA, of course, and then maybe we can get into some other strategies. And I also wanted to, after we covered the SBA, talk about like order of operations. So sometimes you want to make sure that maybe you don't do the ROB strategy or do a HELOC before the ROBs or I'm going to get messed up in my mind, but I think you get what I'm asking. But let's touch on the SBA and when is that applicable and what type of client is typically using that and how it works. Absolutely. Well, I'll answer the first question partially first, but I think that the first step is really talking to somebody like myself, a funding consultant with a funding company. You know, we'd love the opportunity to talk to you because it is really just a free educational consultative call. So you're not making decisions and putting things in the wrong order and we can make sure that we're putting the best strategy together. But SBA, I mean, again, another great strategy. Some people have, you know, said that SBAs are really tightening up and lenders are tightening up and we're not seeing that. I mean, for a well-qualified borrower, we're still getting loans done for any type of loan amount or industry. I shouldn't say any type of loan amount. Most lenders are really looking at a loan minimum of 100,000, most 150, but well, you know, that up until 5 million, as long as you're qualified and if it's a franchise around the SBA directory, you know, we have some good options. And banks are looking at a number of factors when they're evaluating a small business loan request. And, you know, kind of all of them are equally as important. Sometimes we refer to them as buckets, like four buckets. So if one is a little bit, you know, not as full, but another one is overflowing, maybe it can help to kind of even each other out. But of course, they're going to look at credit, right? So that's the first thing. That's a harder pass fail. Typically 680 credit, no recent bankruptcies or foreclosures, you know, not a ton of revolving credit card debt that's not carried over from month to month. And then they're going to want to see that that person who's applying for the loan has equity and skin in the game. Banks are never, ever, ever going to lend you 100% of what's needed to start a business when you're looking at a business loan. So they're typically today, they're looking at 20% cash injection. So if you're looking at a $300,000 project cost, you're putting in $60,000, the bank is lending you $240,000. Banks never want to see that you're putting every penny that you have into the business. So you also have to have some cash left over. So if you have just $60,000 for, you know, a $300,000 project cost, it's probably not going to work. And it can vary from lender to lender what they want as far as that post-closing liquidity. So that's what we call it in the lending world. So post-closing liquidity is just cash that you still have once that loan is closing. And one thing I want to mention is, you know, when we're talking about franchise opportunities, the franchise fee counts towards that cash injection. So that's typically a borrower's largest portion of that cash injection is by paying their franchise. And sometimes we have more and more people who are buying multiple units or multiple territories, which is very exciting. If it's a service-based business, then we can look at funding more than one territory at one time because they're servicing all of those territories from the jump. 
where if it's a brick and mortar or something that's by unit and they're opening them, you know, every 12 or 18 months, the bank is only going to lend money for the franchise or location that's being opened at that time. So again, cash is important. Having outside income is important. And a lot of people kind of get hung up on that. They're like, but I want to put my full time into this business, which is certainly understandable. However, they will count spousal income, rental income, dividend income. And the reason they want to see this, Christian, is, you know, we all know that these businesses are not going to make money on day one, right? It's going to take some time. And they want to know that you have enough outside income and or cash to be able to help that business while it's ramping up the first 12 months and still cover your personal expenses? How are you going to continue to pay your mortgage or your rent, your car payments? So that income becomes important to be able to cover personal expenses, the new SBA loan payment, and then the lease payment if there is one for like an office or retail space. So again, income is important there. And then the final thing, depending on the industry, the size and type of loan and the loan amount they could require is personal collateral. So the first thing they would look at there is real estate, where they would place a lien on real estate that is owned, and then the equity serves as collateral. And once that loan has been paid off, the lien is removed. Now, if it's below like a 350 loan amount and it's a service-based business, we do have some lenders that are a little bit more flexible there. And while they're always signing that personal guarantee, they may not require the personal collateral. And again, that's where we go through our pre-approval so you can know what to expect prior to moving forward and what that would really look like. And that's really it as far as the qualifications. So if a candidate has the ability to check yes in those boxes, then they should be in a good position to obtain a loan. SBA loans today, it's a 10-year term. So it's typically congruent with a franchise agreement. There are no prepayment penalties. And interest rates are at Wall Street Journal Prime Plus 2.75. So today it's about eight and a quarter. And that is a variable rate that is adjusted quarterly as that prime rate changes. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button and make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. It's really interesting what you just shared, Tara, on everything about the SPA loan. I think a lot of people don't realize, especially even in franchise development, because if you're somewhat newer in the industry, rates have been the same for so long or lower for so long, how that loan is not a fixed rate. It's a variable rate. And so if interest rates continue to go up, it'll continue to rise. If they go down, they go down. Just important to think about. Now, obviously, if your loan is not a massive size loan, that's only sometimes a hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars in difference, but it does make a difference if you're taking on a bigger loan. And that brings me to the question I had. Some of our clients that listen in are multi-unit owners. They already have, you know, one or two or five locations and they aspire to have 50 or a hundred, like some of these incredible multi-unit owners in different industries. Could you walk us through that process a little bit? They have to essentially get the loan against each business or how does someone even go about building out so many locations? Yeah, absolutely. I will answer that question. And I do want to just kind of piggyback on what you're saying about interest rates just a little bit because you mentioned some numbers. So to give you some context there, if you had a $200,000 SBA loan, right? So that's like a 250 project cost where you're putting in 50, the loan is 200. And the loan were to jump up a half of a point today. That's going to change somebody's loan payment about $50 a month. 
So that's real money, right? But if your business can't afford to handle $50 a month, then there's probably some other issues there. And interest rates were really low kind of during COVID. But pre-COVID, so I mean, about three years ago, interest rates were about eight and a half. So we're really just getting back to normal. Again, it's always variable. So it's always going to change as prime. As you said, it's going to continue to go up a little bit. And then eventually, I'm sure in the 10-year term, it will come back down. So just changes. But just to give people some context, you know, for $200,000 of an SBA loan, a half of a point would be about $50. But yeah, we are seeing so many people doing multiple units. And again, if it's service space and we can service them all, then that can maybe be in one loan. But if it's brick and mortar, you're going to have a number of loans. So we do always suggest, you know, if people are considering cash or rollover, a HELOC, holding on to some of that cash for locations two, three, and plus, and recommending an SBA loan on location one. So you can have a number of SBA loans, as many as you can qualify for, as long as they don't equal more than $5 million. So again, if you're looking at you know three locations that are $500,000 each, you should be okay as long as you can qualify. What I will say is that the bank is going to want to see about 6 to 12 months of positive cash flow from that first location before they lend for a second. Of course, you know, that's smart money, that's smart business, making sure that that first location is running and profitable before lending money for a second. So that's where we do try to make sure, you know, if the candidate is signing for three or four units or whatever it may be, we need to make sure that they have enough cash to pay all those territory fees, the unit franchise fees when they're signing the franchise agreement to be able to also have cash injection, post-closing liquidity. So it's not unusual where we talk to people and they say, hey, I want to do three. And we say, we think you're only strong enough for one today because we don't want to, you know, as the same as you guys, you don't want to set your candidates up for failure or making sure that they're not going to be able to fund second and third units. So we do really try to look at that long term. So it could be an SBA loan for one and two. And obviously, if one is cash flowing and that can help with opening a second, third, fourth and, you know, going location. So to answer the question, you know, they can have multiple SBA loans, but that's where also holding on to maybe some equity, cash, retirement is always going to be helpful too to get multiple units up and running. So sometimes people will say, oh, I think I'm going to self-fund one and then come back and get an SBA loan for two. We do typically suggest an SBA loan for that first location because sometimes it's surprising to people, but it's actually easier sometimes to get the SBA loan for that first location for the startup. So you don't have to wait for six to 12 months of cash flow to get that second one up and running. And if you have the cash to hold on to it for those. Makes sense. And to piggyback off of what Dan was asking too, and I know that this isn't the typical case for most franchisees, especially if you're a new or first time franchisee, but how do some of those businesses that you hear about someone like, I own like 65 super cuts. (laughs) How do they typically go about funding I mean, is that where you're just raising money from outside and you're getting investors involved? And I know it's much more complex, but yeah. do you guys help with that at all? Or how does that work? We have some candidates. That's probably not our real clientele here right. for brand fund. And I mean, and that's just being really transparent with you, Christian. So, I mean, we certainly have people that have come back and, hey, I'm ready to open unit two or three. And we've gotten the same client multiple loans. So we certainly have done that. You know, you mentioned super cuts a few years ago when they were doing a lot of their corporate resale bundles, we did a lot of those. So we did do some of those deals and they were just sold as units, as bundles. You know, it was five, six, seven, 10 together. But typically, I mean, if somebody owns 65 franchises at this point, they probably have some cheaper money (laughs) to access than SBA. You know, I know you mentioned earlier, like if somebody has a large brokerage account, a large amount in stocks, then they might consider a portfolio loan or a securities backed line of credit. 
something like that. Or those businesses are probably just cash flowing enough that they can do it. So not that we wouldn't help. I mean, we've definitely helped. I talked to somebody this morning is interested in a college chunks hauling junk and they already have two other different franchise opportunities. So it's interesting to see, you know, people are always continuing to add oftentimes services that can kind of complement their existing franchise and business. And that's exciting to see. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Just curious. Cause I'm always wondering like, how do these people do that? But it makes sense. So Well, that leads to something else. So this is something not all people know, Christian. And this could be in that situation where somebody has, you know, a large amount of franchises. But when we're talking about SBA lending very specifically, did you know that you could be overqualified for an SBA loan? I did know that, but explain how that's possible. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of people are like, what? So I have to tell a lot of people that they're overqualified, which is there could be way worse things. But so there's just something called credit elsewhere. And basically, it, because this is a government-backed loan, the government is saying, hey, if you have the ability to get credit elsewhere, you don't really need this government-backed loan product. So the funny thing is, is that there's not a hard, fast rule. There's no formula out there. However, most lenders are going to look at like three times the project cost in liquid assets. So you know, if you're looking at a something and it's 300,000 and you have a million dollars in liquid assets, meaning savings, checking, non-retirement stocks. They don't look at equity and real estate. They're not going to count retirement, but just liquid assets, then you're probably overqualified for that size of loan. Got it. Well, that's probably very helpful for people to know. And so if they are overqualified, portfolio loans, do we get into that realm? Securities back lines of credit? Yeah. So they're going to get their best routes from like going to their wealth manager, you know, and talking through that because it would depend on their types of investments. But that's typically what I would suggest. That's going to be their cheapest route to financing. Their lowest interest rate would be a portfolio loan or a securities back line of credit. We have a really great unsecured lender that we work with because it's unsecured. You know, they're not tying it to a portfolio or a home or anything like that. It's going to be higher in interest and fees. So typically that's kind of a last resort for somebody that maybe doesn't have the cash to qualify for an SBA loan, but they have really good credit and outside income. Or maybe it's a resale where, you know, the asking price is lower than what SBA lenders are willing to do today. I've had a lot of resales that it's like 80, 100,000. And and unfortunately, we just don't have lenders who are interested in those types of acquisitions at a low loan amount. So that's a good option. So there's always, you know, ways to get creative. A home equity line of credit is a good option. Again, maybe if they're just looking for a smaller franchise and they're doing one unit versus if they're doing multiple units or something like that, then it might be good to hold on to some of that equity for collateral for a loan or for a future franchise territory or unit when needed. It's interesting when you talk about the overqualified or the caps of an SPA loan at you know certain millions of dollars. When I think about, and I know you mentioned they're not really maybe as much a Fran fund client, but just getting off financing and a bit into just, you know, franchise purchasing. When you think about someone that wants to own 60 locations of a brand, I think that all really comes down to, unless they came in extremely wealthy with tons of capital to deploy, what happens is you have to be able to buy the first one, live as frugal as you can, put the money that you save toward the second with some lending, and really not touch the profits that you're getting out of the business for a good period of time. Maybe you take a reasonable salary and you live like as if you're not cash flowing all that money to be able to build another business, which is just two different schools. Like that's my school of thought. At my stage of life, I would rather continue to grow a company and put the cash flow into the next investment because there's really no better investment than in yourself and in your own business. 
But some people, they want to replace a certain income and then not continue to grow. But would you say that when you do have your clients that are purchasing multiple, they're financing it by getting the cash from one location and the bank's also financing that debt service. They see you're taking out a million dollar a year income, then they know that you can't support the debt because you have all kinds of other debt personally. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's where exactly, you know, personal debt does come in. And, you know, once you have an existing business and you're looking at a loan for a second, they're going to look at what they'll call global cash flow. So, you know, they will take into consideration your personal expenses, any W-2 income that you have outside of the business and how that business is cash flowing. So I would agree with you, Dan. I love it. So one thing as well, so we, I know we touched on portfolio loans, securities back line of credit. I did want to go back to that because I think that that is such an interesting way to fund a business and in terms of the mechanics of how it works. So my understanding is you're getting a line of credit based off of the value of your portfolio. It has to be a non-qualified account, meaning it's not retirement assets. Right. They can loan up to, what is it, 80 or 90%? So we do not do portfolio loans in-house, Christian. So I can speak to it lightly about what I know. I believe it depends on the type of investment, Got it. whether you can get like 70, 80 or 90% of the value of what you're invested in. Got it. And then the actual investments, let's say it's a stock portfolio or mutual funds, index funds, all that money stays invested and you're just using those assets as collateral. So in case you default on the loan, they're going to take those assets to pay themselves back. Correct. Yep. The only thing to be, and you would have to talk to again, their wealth manager or whoever they're doing the portfolio loan through is that they can call it back Mm -hmm. if the market starts to dip or something like that. So I think that that's typically why working with your financial advisor to look at what you're invested in, what you can get at a portfolio line of credit and maybe still have that buffer to kind of, you know, cover if the market were to dip. But yes, absolutely. And then uh, shifting gears to HELOC then, that Similar in many ways, right? It's just the underlying asset is just equity and real estate. Yep. And most banks are doing 80% loan to value. There are some that will do 90. And, you know, typically the best resource for a home equity line of credit is your local bank or credit union. Whoever you're banking with, you know, that your personal savings and checking account is, most of those banks offer a home equity line of credit. They're local. They know your home. So that's typically what we suggest. And now I've seen all different interest rates on that. So it really depends on the program where it can be, you know, prime plus one or interest only for five years or interest only for 10 years. So that can really vary depending on the lender and also depending on the amount of equity that you have in your home. Makes a lot of sense. Well, I think we've gotten a great insight into some of the different options out there. Now, what I'm curious about is obviously you can blend some of these strategies together. You don't just have to go with an SBA or just the Rob strategy. But I know that there is an important order of operations. I know, for example, with the SBA, if you already have a HELOC outstanding, I mean, they don't want to be second in line to receive money back, right? So if the loan is defaulted on, they may not look favorably on the HELOC being open when they're underwriting the SBA loan. Is that right? Or am I missing something? Well, it really depends on the value of the home and the value of the HELOC. So we do have a lot of clients that do have home equity lines of credit in place and are getting an SBA loan. So, you know, if your house is worth $800,000 and with your mortgage and your line of credit, you know, you only have 400 outstanding, then there's still enough equity there to use even after that home equity line of credit, you know, kind of in that third lien position. So if your home is only worth 400,000 and you are basically with your home equity line of credit and your mortgage, you're at 80% loan to value and you need it to use as collateral, then it could be an issue. So 
we can't have a HELOC and an SBA loan because we certainly have a lot of clients that do it. Really just it's crunching those numbers and figuring out how much equity is still available after having that home equity line of credit in place. So, I mean, do we do typically say don't go out and do any large purchases or changes? Again, we have clients that are utilizing home equity lines of credit and an SBA loan, but that's where they're talking with our team and our lending specialists that we know that that's what the plan, we know that their credit and take that inquiry and make it in their credit is going to still be above where it needs to be and that their outside income is enough to be continue to cover their home equity line of credit and their personal expenses and help the new business. So again, it really has to do with just kind of crunching the numbers. And I talked about that burn rate. And if you have a HELOC in place, that's going to increase the burn rate. So it really just has to do with the outside income of the applicant and again, the equity in their home. And the fair market value, we know that that's been all over the place (laughs) the last couple of years, you know, as markets have gone crazy and values have shot up and then slightly back down. So So what I've gathered from this conversation is everyone's situation is different. You need a (laughs) customized solution. Talk to Tara and get it figured out and see what the best route for you is. It really is. I know that it's not cookie cutter. And that's why Fran Fund exists, because it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not going to be the same for each candidate. So whether it's an SBA loan and a combination of ROBS for the cash injection or self-funding with ROBS, or you know, I had a client not too long ago that I did suggest a home equity line of credit. They already had one in place <laughs> that was enough to fund their franchise. They had already paid the closing costs. And it was a small investment of only $80,000. We're going to lead them in the path that's right for their business opportunity and their long-term goals. You know, if you're a franchise candidate, someone looking at franchises, I highly recommend FranFund. They they do an incredible job. Tara does an incredible job. You've always stricken me as someone that just loves what they do. Well, thank you. So it shows through as you talk about the different lending options. You make it exciting. I know that maybe (laughs) you're listening to this, you're saying lending is not the most exciting thing, but... You know, I'll tell you this, lending beats a couple of things if you're listening. If I were to have an option, I would rather get a loan or use my 401k than have to lean on family or lean on a high interest loan or have a partner where I'm doing more of the work and they're the capital, you know, an investor. Those relationships are good in the beginning, but not as good later usually. Whereas if you take the risk in the beginning, you get the loan. Yes, it's harder in the beginning, but in the longer term, those interest payments, if it's a loan or the, well, in the case of 401k, there's no interest payments, but those interest payments, if you do an SBA loan, usually will be more cost-effective in the long run than having a partner if you're getting one just to get a partner. Now, if you're getting a partner that has complementary skills that are different than yours, that's different, but there's so much opportunity to getting lending for you if you leverage that. And the other thing I was just going to mention, I know this is true for me, if you get a loan when you don't need a loan, that's also good, right? Like getting a job when you don't need a job, you know, because if you show that you're good at being a steward of capital that's provided to you, if you want to get more money in the future for growth, you're able to do so typically. Yeah. Well, I like to say a business never failed for having too much money. Right. I love that. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. But no, well, thank you for the kind words. Being a franchisee myself, and as you guys know, the franchise world is just, you grab onto it, it sucks you in, you love it. And so it's just exciting to, you know, help entrepreneurs to aspire and achieve their dreams of business ownership. And it's fun to be on the side of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is fun. And just to touch on what you said, Dan, it's also the importance of using leverage. I think don't be over leveraged, but 
it improves your cash on cash return. And you're not deploying as much of your available capital into one thing. You can deploy it to other types of investments or save it for later for additional locations, territories, units. Diversify. Exactly. So I think this was a tremendously helpful episode. And for anyone that's listening, if this is your first deep dive into funding a business or franchising, it probably was a little overwhelming and intimidating, but go back, listen to it a couple of times. But more important than anything, reach out to Tara. I'm sure she can give you a tremendous amount of insight and specifically to your situation. And you know, it's one of those things that even for me, every time I speak to Tara and Fran Fund, I'm always learning something new about not just funding in general, but also the changing landscape. So it is something to come back to, but it is something where don't be a penny wise and a dollar foolish. Really find experts that know what the heck they're talking about and put your trust in them. And Tara is definitely one of those people. So Tara, thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. I really appreciate you guys asking me to come on today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.